You're listening to the podcast version of Spark TV, an interview series with the world's most inspiring women in business. These are honest business conversations over a glass of wine to help you shortcut your success in business. I'm your host, Danielle Lewis, three times founder, huge wine enthusiast, and always willing to share all of the gory business details to help you grow your business, no matter what that looks like to you. If you want more Spark in your business, check out our membership Spark 365 for daily business growth tips at sparkfoundersprogram.com. And a huge shout out to Spark TV sponsor IP Australia for their amazing support of the Spark podcast and women in business. Thank you so much for coming on Spark TV. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I'm excited. So good. And you have come very highly recommended for the podcast by our gorgeous women in business community. So I'm super excited to share your story. I Once I saw you um, register as a guest, I did some online stalking and yeah. This is very, very cool. So why don't we just start out by telling everyone who you are and what you do? Sure. So, yeah, my name's Yisha. I am a New Zealand born and bred. I moved over to Melbourne in January 2019 to do my master's and I haven't gone back since. So Melbourne's my new home. Um, and to do, I did my master's in entrepreneurship, um, I guess, because in high school, and in my undergrad, I always knew I wanted to start a business. I just didn't really know what in, what am I good at, what are my passions at. So I'm like, okay, let's let's delay that decision and build the networks, build the school, the skills to actually build a business. And so mm. um, hence the masters. And during that time, I was figuring out, okay, you know, what what am I interested in? What do I want to do? Um by my business and so mm-hmm. something that was important to me was impact um, and making a difference and that's why I was totally you know against the corporate life because I felt I couldn't make a direct impact myself mm-hmm. um, and that's why I thought a business and a startup is the only way I can do that um, by doing something impactful and at the time my whole life till then I used to love shopping I used to buy a lot of fast fashion I would have I would be completely oblivious um, to the impacts that fas- the fashion had on the environment, on mm. people, um, and I would just keep buying, buying, buying. It's a terrible habit, and it got to the point where a lot of my clothes they wouldn't last as long because of the quality, mm. uh, because of fast fashion, and so I wouldn't be able to sell them. I wouldn't be able to donate them. I wouldn't give them to friends or family. I'm like, what do I do with these clothes? Like, it feels wrong to put them in the bin but I don't really know what else to do. And I looked online, did a bit of research, and I found that there was just no ways that I could get rid of my clothes knowing where it was going. Um, And that kind of led me to a whole rabbit hole of research, um, finding out the impact of fast fashion on the environment and just really eye-opening for myself. You know, I was finding stats that we Australians throw away 6,000 kgs of clothing every 10 minutes. What? Um, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. We're consuming so much, even though, you know, we're not as big of a country compared to the rest of the world. We're in the mm. top, you know, um, top, top uh, list of uh, countries that are disposing of clothes and consuming. A lot of our waste is sent overseas to uh, um, their landfills. So we don't really see the problem here. 
And a lot of the charities and op shops that we give our clothes to are getting really overwhelmed by the unusable clothes that they receive as donations. So I just saw so many problems. Um, and I felt like, okay, I want to do something about this. I put it upon myself to solve the problem. <laughs> completely oblivious again to, to how hard the problem is. So, <laughs> I love like, that. Good naivety going into a business. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I went into it. I, in my personal life, I changed a lot of things. I haven't bought anything new since I've started. So it's been around two years, um, which was hard at first. But then I've been loving to be just creative, um, you know, doing clothes swaps, renting, um, even if I have to just go into an op shop, um, those kinds of things has been really fun. Um, and that's where I started after basically. Yeah. Oh my God. That is incredible. And I love that, you know, cause it's really interesting, like people's journey to becoming a business owner. I love that, you know, it wasn't about the idea at first for you. It was about impact and knowing that, having your own business was going to be the key to actually doing something because you're so right. I literally spoke to someone earlier today who was like, I want to make a big change in the world. I want to go into government. They got there, you know, 18 months later, they're like, no, I'm not going to make any impact here. (laughs) So I love that you actually already knew, you know, for you to make a big impact in the world, it was going to be about creating your own thing and solving a real problem. I think that that's super cool. What do you think? Um, I'm super curious because we don't always have a lot of people that have studied entrepreneurship on the show. Mm-hmm. So super curious as to how you feel that doing that, doing your master's set you up for success in business. Um, I think it was amazing. I got to learn. A, so I, I had I had a commerce degree in my undergrad as well. So I wasn't completely mm-hmm. from a different background. Yeah. But doing the entrepreneurship master's, really helped me well first of all I started after during the course so it was a really safe space for me to grow learn fail and experiment and get back up Mm. Um, things didn't go right but it was okay that it wasn't going right because I was in a safe space Mm. Um, I got to learn the mindset the entrepreneurial mindset of you know the growth mindset um, and how to approach things like customer validation and I started after like doing it by the book, you know, going and talking to customers first, not not coming up with the solution first, but actually saying, okay, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Who who is facing this problem and why is it a problem? And I think that's something that a lot of people that may not know that those those steps in starting a business often miss out. Um, And I think like for after our solution was created based on what our customers told us even from the words that we use we say unwearable clothing that term was come came from our customers so it really taught me you know doing things by the book um at the start it doesn't always um go by plan things just happen you know and you can't go by the book and you have to kind of make up make it up as you go and that's totally normal and I've definitely done that um but I think it really was a strong starting point for myself and for after I think that's so cool um, because I can totally relate to that. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I've made in business is not talking to people, just thinking, oh, I've got a brilliant genius idea. I'll spend all of my money creating this thing. And then no one 
gets it or buys it or wants it. So I I learned that lesson the hard way. So I absolutely love that. Um, so what was that process like? You know, if you were giving advice to somebody who wanted to start a business, you know, we've talked about the importance of why, you know, you should talk to your customers, but how do you even go about that? Like if you were someone that thought, thought you had a brilliant idea, um, what kind of process do you go through to actually validate an idea? Yeah, I mean, so to try talk to your customers, you don't really know who your customers are at the start, or you shouldn't really know because you're making it up if you think you know. So, mm-hmm. so try to reach out to as many different customer groups, demographic groups, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was someone that would be so afraid of talking to people on the phone. Um, so that was a really scary part to just call people up randomly um, or talking to strangers over a Zoom call. I went on a lot of Facebook groups and put call outs there, put my uh, link to surveys to just fill it out. And then I was like, hey, look, um, um, you've done the survey. Would you be okay if we had like a 15 minute Zoom call? Um, I think I was lucky that it was locked down. So maybe people had a bit more spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really helped me actually, you know, talk to customers and try be really objective in the questions I'm asking and not swaying towards the solution that I want, but what is it that they would actually want and what would they pay for as well? Like, you know, a lot of people would say something, but will they actually, you know, yeah, willingness to pay for a service or a product, you know, only comes when they actually have to pay. They might say they would, but yeah. So that's interesting. So as you were going through that process, is that, kind of what led you to figuring out, you know, you would have to collect the clothes or so how does the actual process work? If I said I have unwearable clothes right now and I wanted to engage with after, how does it actually work? Yeah. So we, so you jump on our website and you can book a collection. Um, We have collections every now and then we're trying to um, do it as often as possible without collecting too much, um, of course, but there's so much ways to go around. So you jump on the website, you select how many kgs of clothing you want to get rid of. Um, this can be from three kgs all the way up to 50 kgs. Um, wow. And you pay based on the uh, amount of kgs you want to dispose of. Um, once you've done that, we will let you know when your collection date is. And then most of our customers just leave their boxes of unwearable clothes just on their doorstep. Um, so we don't even need to, you know, interact with them, just pick it up from their doorstep. Um, a lot of times I have interacted with the customers and it's been really, really nice. And I did, I did a lot of the collections myself in the early days, and it was a really good opportunity to actually meet these people and just like, no, why are you paying for the service? Like, you know, we're nobody. So how did you find out about us? A lot of them were, um, strangers. Most, most of our customers are strangers, so they're not people they're not my friends you know they're not networks that I have they're people that have found us because they needed a service like this and um back to the process so when you book a collection um we've partnered up with uh sustainable brands uh to give a discount as just like an incentive for doing good but also to empower sustainable consumption so we've got like a sustainable florist we've got a vegan uh, leather bag company that's making out of cactus leather. Um, so a lot of cool little brands like that that we like to support. Um, and you just select which one you, you're interested in and they'll give you a discount code. Um, and we're constantly trying to improve that and get more brands on board um, just to support, you know, the local 
sustainable businesses. And then once we collect your clothes, um, what we're working on now is the recycling part. So there are, that's the most complicated part because collecting is, it's, I mean, it's not easy, but there's so much waste to go around that we can keep on collecting. Mm. But to recycle textiles when it's post-consumer textile waste, it's very difficult. Mm. Um, that's what I didn't know when I started this. And I thought, oh, textile recycling, easy, easy. Thing. Um, <laughs> I love that you thought that, though. I love you were like, oh, that's got to be easy. I'm like, it sounds complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's so not what I imagined. Um, but, I mean, it's a good challenge and we're not very good at it in Australia. We don't really have any textile recycling facilities at scale that yeah. deal with post-consumer textile waste. Um, and that that just shows that we do send a lot of our waste overseas. Um, so what we're trying to do is find recycling processes that we can recycle the clothes into a valuable recycled output because we want to on-sell that output um, to create a circular economy. So we're currently working with some people in Asia to recycle things for us. And then whatever they recycle, we bring it back to Australia to close the loop onshore. Wow. It's not the best to be to be sending it overseas for processing, um, but you know, you can't set up a factory overnight. Um, mm. it, it's something we really want to do. It is our end goal to keep everything on shore. It's better for business as well. But for now, um, we do have a lot to learn from what's going on overseas. Textile waste is a global problem. Yes. We're so good at sending it overseas anyways. Um, but we want to we want to bring it back and close the loop on shore. That's really interesting, though, because you're right. Like, this is a global problem. It's not just Australia that's um, contributing to the waste issue. I mean, this is huge. Like, you you solve this and you roll this out globally, like, solve the world's problem. <laughs> like, this is actually a very huge problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's huge. I never realised how big it is. And the thing is with textiles, like, I felt that it often just gets gets forgotten about with like you know plastics especially plastics like yes plastics is a big problem a huge problem mm. so is textiles and we don't have the infrastructure on shore to deal with the waste that we create mm. and and that's where I think you know what we're trying to do as a business is work with people that can make those decisions and can you know give the funding that's required because it's expensive you know mm. um, textile recycling is quite manual as well in the sorting process and that's why a lot of companies will, will collect here and then just do the recycling overseas. Yeah, wow. Um, and I love something that you said earlier as well. So in the early days when you would go out and collect people's clothes and you got to talk to all of these random strangers about why who they were why they were doing this I mean I love I love to hear that consumers actually want to create an impact as well and it wasn't just your network it was actually random strangers who had the exact same problem you had and wanted to solve it and find and found you what were the, how did, how did they find you? So what have been kind of successful marketing strategies for you to actually get found as a, as a new brand solving a new problem? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. We haven't spent like any money on marketing. That's good. Um, yeah. I mean, it's great. Yeah. So I wouldn't mm. be able to tell like, oh, SEOs and these things and keywords, those things work. Mm. I'm not sure. We do come up on Google somehow, but uh, I think for us, it was a lot of word of mouth oh, and cool. Facebook groups because we found that our customer groups are mums and mm. busy mums. Um, so I 
got onto a lot of Facebook groups and I just started, you know, posting on there, like, hey, we're doing collections this weekend, like anyone got clothes, book a collection. And I think it became a word of mouth from there. And cool. word of mouth is very powerful. Um, it's obvious it's the cheapest way for marketing, but it's also very powerful. Um, and so I think, yeah, a lot of our customers came from there and out through our Instagram and we're trying to educate people. That's a big part of what we're trying to do as well is we should actually be the last place for your clothes to come to. Mm. Um, we shouldn't have to exist. And we we will and we do, but your clothes, like we want people to be able to make their clothing last a lot longer. And I personally learned a lot of things from just the way that you wash your clothes, you know, that makes a big difference, how you store the type of material that you buy, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. So we're really trying to educate our our customers and our community of the best ways to take care of their clothing so it doesn't come to us. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Like you're, you know, you're right. Like there's different parts of the problem. And, you know, I think as business owners, oftentimes we kind of just focus in on why we're the solution and why we should be the thing that the go-to. Um, but I really love that you're actually, if this is bigger than business, you know, if you are trying to create an impact, you do have to educate people about the entire supply chain mm-hmm. and also the actions they can take. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. And also just, you know, we would we sometimes get the odd like, oh, I don't like how you send it overseas. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I initially was like that first because, again, I didn't know that we don't have much infrastructure onshore. So that's mm-hmm. another educational piece as to like, yeah, we don't have things onshore to take care of the waste. Eventually, you know, there will be bans for textile waste. But then what do we do if we can't export it mm-hmm. and we can't handle it onshore? It's going to be a bit of the soft plastics problem that's currently going on. So, again, there's an educational piece to it and we're trying to start somewhere. It's really hard being sustainable and trying to do the right thing whilst growing a business yeah. um, at the same time because we're not we're not perfect and we're not going to be perfect. And my co-founder and I recently just realized that we're striving for perfection a bit too much and it's mm-hmm. making things a lot slower for us. So we're like, hey, let's just start somewhere. It won't be perfect, but mm-hmm. we're doing something and and we just go from there. That's awesome. That's such a good lesson in business because nothing's ever perfect. And even if you think you have it perfect, one of your customers will hate it. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned a co-founder. How did you find your co-founder? What's it like working with somebody else? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I found her in September last year. Um, I, I started after as a solo founder and I hated it for a while because I I think I feed off other people's energies and mm. sharing the passion with no one but myself was just it was just boring. It was very isolating. Yeah. I, I mean, I have people around me to talk to, but no one gets it when they're in it. Mm. Um, when they're not in it with you. Mm. So I put a call out. I'm like, look, I'm gonna go the traditional way. I'm gonna put a call out on different like startup community groups, say that I'm looking for a co-founder. Um, and so I talked to quite a few people, but with her, we we just clicked straight away. Um, she was equally as passionate, probably more passionate about circular economy um and you know, living a sustainable life. 
Mm. And she was very keen about the textile waste problem. And yeah, we shared a lot of um, similar values. And she's also a first time founder. So we're both doing this for the first time. So we get we get lost together, but we also, you know, figure it out together. And it's been really good. She's based in Sydney and I'm based in Melbourne. Um, but we do often we see each other quite a bit as we fly over. Um, and it's it's been really good just to have someone to soundboard ideas off to, you know, freak out about things yeah. with each other that other people won't get. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been the best thing. Like I, I really want to grow our team as well. I, I love working with other people um, and just, yeah, being alone for the first like a year and a half was just very tiring and exhausting. Yeah. I, um, I know I've done both. I've done solo founder and co-founder and yeah, there's nothing, no one does get it. Like (laughs) somebody that's in it, no one gets how crazy you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. What about from a business point of view? So I think from a industry point of view and the problem you're trying to solve, like it is massive, so many challenges. What about from a bit on the business side? Have there been any challenges on the, okay, I actually need to make this make sense from a profit point of view, um, from a, yes, I want to grow the team. Like what's like actually starting a business that creates impact been like? I think the biggest challenge for us has been that neither of us come from a fashion textiles or recycling background. Mm. Um, So we're really learning things from scratch, like from things as little as like yarn and Mm. what, what's involved in that um, to weaving to, you know, recycling itself. We're learning all of it from scratch and it's, it's been difficult um, Mm. to, to really get our head around it uh we're still learning every day we're trying to make like a fashion one-on-one glossary for both of us so that when we talk we know the words to use you know we're really educating ourselves but it has been difficult because we haven't been able to be a part of conversations Mm. like knowing what you know what they know We're, we're having to go from start and start from scratch so that's I would say that's a problem is that we need the expertise and team. And that's what we're looking for, either an advisor or a team member um, that has this strong background or a mix of people that can build up, you know, recycling background, textiles background, sustainability. Mm. All these areas are things that we don't actually have proper experience in. Um, and it, it comes to the point that, yes, we want to make impact. And, yes, we're passionate, but we're also running a business. And we need to know what we're doing. We need to know the technicals. We need to know the specifics. And, you know, with recycling, if we want to do research and development, we need we need mm. the technical expertise. You know, that's not stuff we can do. We need, like, scientists and engineers, you know. Um, and so, yeah, but I think I, that's one regret I have, to not have someone on board at the early stage that knows their shit in this area because we definitely don't and we're struggling about it now but I love that that didn't hold you back right like I think some people would look at that and go well I don't have enough technical knowledge so therefore I'm not going to get started I love that you've gone I'm going to educate myself as much as I possibly can but then recognize that you know for us to keep scaling and doing different things we're going to need to bring in the right people Um, I just love that you didn't let it hold you back (laughs) yeah thank you yeah I mean we there's some great experts out there that we've talked to and we just tell them that like 
yeah, we, we don't know much about this. Please explain. Like whatever, before every catch up or meeting would have like a list of questions and it might be the dumbest questions, but with a few people, we've been able to be really honest and open and nice. just transparent that like, Hey, we're still figuring this out. Mm. Answer like, please help us with these technical questions. Um, and we can ask the dumbest questions and it's okay. <laughs> have you found that? Have you found that people have been fairly generous like to support you in in educating you and answering your questions yeah definitely it's it's been especially like we've been finding you know like researchers from universities that have been really helpful um in the textile space and even overseas the people that we've connected with overseas in the textiles game has been really really helpful that's amazing I I love that too because I that's another thing I always say to people like I know it can feel a bit scary reaching out for help, but you it always shocks me how generous people are, especially I, you know, when you are trying to solve a real problem and actually make a difference. Yeah. 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 It it helps so much. Yeah. A little bit goes a really long way. Amazing. So last question for you. Um, uh, reflecting on your journey starting a business, if you were talking to a brand new female founder, an aspiring female founder, what would be one piece of advice that you would give her when starting her new business? Mm, good question. I think if you're solving a big problem like we are, break down the problem. Um, mm. And don't worry if it's not perfect. Like I think women tend to be more perfectionists Mm. um, and we want to get things right the first time and it won't be and that's okay. Like you need to be comfortable with that and just start somewhere. Um, That was a lot of advice in one sentence, but yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it though. Chunk it down. Don't be perfect and just start somewhere. Like that's actually brilliant advice. (laughs) So good. Oh, you are absolutely incredible, Yisha. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom on the Spark podcast. I know everyone dialing in. um, Yeah, we've got a lot of value out of that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. It's been so nice talking to you. That wraps another episode of Spark TV. Thank you so much for listening. I hope there was something in there that you needed today to help you on your business journey. We would absolutely love it if you subscribed and leave a review. This helps the Spark podcast find its way to other amazing women in business. If you want to hang out with us even more, join Spark 365 and you'll have me show up in your inbox every damn day with a business growth tip. Check it out at sparkfoundersprogram.com. Shout out to Spark TV sponsor IP Australia for their amazing support of the Spark podcast and women in business. And if no one tells you today, you've got this.